Thank you for tuning in to Tactile, a practical guide to transforming art and culture. This is the podcast of Leveraging a Network for Equity, LANE, a program of the National Performance Network. LANE supports arts organizations of color and rural organizations with the necessary time and resources to grow their infrastructure in ways that are culturally authentic and moves the field towards justice. I'm your host, Sage Crump, Program Specialist for LANE. So on this episode of Tactile, we have the great pleasure of talking with the Central District Forum of Arts and Ideas, CD Forum out of Seattle, Washington, one of our initial alpha cohort members, one of the first brave souls that uh, decided to come along this journey that we're calling Lane. So uh, before we jump into kind of conversations, will you all please introduce yourselves to people? Yeah, I'm, hi, I'm Mary Ann Osborne, and I'm the program manager here at CD Forum. I am Nina Yarbrough, and I am the Business Development Manager at CD Forum. I'm Sharon Nyree Williams, and I'm the Executive Director for CD Forum. Great. And and Sharon, would you mind telling us a little bit about CD Forum and the work that you do? A little bit about your community in Seattle. Yes, I would love to. Um, CD Forum, we're in our 20th year. Specifically, uh, we were founded in 1999 by Stephanie Ellis Smith, who had a vision that the Central District, which is um, which, is, which we now call the historical Black um, District of Seattle, and it was also the Red Line District of Seattle as well. Um, it it needed, or she thought she could add something by bringing in thought-provoking art and cultural programs. And so we are now housed out of the Langston Hughes Performing Arts Institute building. We're one of three partners, four partners in the building. And we are, we pride ourselves on presenting, producing and developing multidisciplinary work by black artists and provide access for courageous conversations to diverse audiences. Wow, courageous conversations. Yes. That feels like a really important thing to think about, right? Because you can do so much with um, art and culture presentations. Why is Courageous Conversations important? I think it's important that we create space um, and that oftentimes we, the, I think one of the issues with society is that we don't want to get down to what we call um, the real truth of how people are feeling. So through our program, specifically an example is we have a show called Kitchen Sessions um, where we feature five to six non-binary film artists and allowing them the comfort to be with the organization like CD Forum to say, you can be your authentic self and share your authentic experience. And in in that, sometimes we have people who enjoy the conversation because it's not filtered. It's not um, politically correct. Um, it is just their true, the artist's true experiences and how they see the world. And I think if we are more truthful in those type of conversations, then the world will change and be a better place because we have much more of an understanding versus saying what we believe is what we want people to hear about what we go through and being nice about it. Mm. That that's amazing. And it it, it almost it's almost like you took the first question right out of my head. Right? <laughs> this is one of the first things that um, I've been asking people is how do you believe change happens? And so I'd love for all three of you all to just weigh in. I'm like when you think about what change or, you know, if you want to make the distinction between change and transformation, um, how do, what are some of the things that, that create that movement? This is Marianne. Yeah, I think uh, change, 
change can, uh, it's very complicated, right? I think there's lots of layers because sometimes you don't have a choice about it. Change is going to happen, right? And then it's how you respond to that change. Um, it, through your art, you know, there's technology that is now a part of art. And, and how do you respond to that change? Um, do you embrace that and figure your voice through that art? Do you continue to, you know, work on your art the way you always have and then it becomes a classic you know years later you can you know it becomes traditional it becomes you know so there's that change that's just forced to come on you and then there's the change i think that you um either you want to be a part of a change so you have to look at your role and what you might be doing and i'm looking like i'm talking about positive forward-thinking change so you have to look at your role what you might be doing to hold yourself back from that or embracing it or there's change that um you you know you want to um be a part of because you're excited about it uh and there is a difference with transformation but i think i i think one of the things is just being open to being flexible and as uh, part of this organization, we're really <laughs> talk about change. I think that that's been a, a constant. Um, I'm newer here. Uh, and so uh, Sharon, of course, has been at the helm for a while. And when we were hired at new staff members, there was a big change, right? And, and all of us being flexible as I'm stepping into a new position as she's working with us and then working together to change um, how we work how we are perceived in the community, how we want to be perceived in the community, how we can take the positive way that we are looked at and take it even further. So we're looking at our upcoming season and we're looking at change, what worked, what didn't, and how can we continue to just, just move from there. And so it's coming from within and it's coming from outside that we're, we're working through that change. I, I think I would add that, um, because you asked, how does it happen? And I think it happens actively, that change is a combination of, of many different things coalescing and coming together, and that it's a continuum, right? And so if we throw in this, um, this idea of transformation, I feel like transformation are little stopping points along the continuum that happen, or at least that's the way that I perceive it, um, and so I think it's this active process that causes you to become uncomfortable and evolve and to move uh, and to move forward. Um, but it's also, I think, as as Marianne said, if you look at it from the the positive perspective, it's something that helps you to grow and shift. And in the little time that I've been at at our company, I've seen that happen. Having approached it as someone who was an intern many moons ago and now as a as an employee to be able to, to mark that change um, and to see the, the growth happen. It's something that that never stops, right? It's the only constant that we have in the universe, right? So um, but yeah that's what it that's what I think of is that change is an active process um, that will happen <laughs> whether or not you want it to. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And you and that and those transformations the the evolutions happen, I think, along that continuum. And I agree exactly with um, everything that Nina and Marianne said, so I have nothing to add at this time. <laughs> they took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> well, a couple of the words that came up while they were speaking that are, are, are interesting to me um, are, is this idea of change being internal and it being intentional, sort of it's an active thing. And so I want to go back in time a little bit to uh, when you first heard about Lane, leveraging a network for equity. And there was this thing going around, folks were like, what is it? National Performance Network. We're looking for arts organizations of color who are interested in, in growing in new ways. Arts organizations who are doing work in the community, who are fighting systemic oppressions and white supremacy through their framework. What were you hoping to... I want, and I want to put it in like these air quotes that no one can see, uh, change. Um, what was it that made you decide to apply to this four-year, pretty intensive as we've come to understand, uh, um, four years of, of growth? In all honesty, it was a push um, from 
you and the folks at the NPN, at NPN um, because when I first heard about it, it was intimidating. And 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 one thing that happens as as you're work, working through an organization or working through something, um, when there's a big opportunity that comes up, sometimes you count yourself out before you even attempt to go through the process. Mm-hmm. And I'm willing to admit that, right? Like, oh, we're not going to get that. We they have so many people applying, and I got this call that was like, uh, we noticed that you didn't sign up for this, and and it was like, yeah. But then when I got into the room, um, the first thing I learned was I wasn't the only one that was scared. I wasn't the only one that um, as an organization had these struggles that you try not to tell people because you don't want them to, to think about you in a certain way. Um, and, and I found myself more than often crying through that first meeting and shaking my head so hard, amening what people were saying. And it's like the first time that as a, an executive director, you, I was able to be truthful about my situation without anybody judging us. And that's when I knew that this was the right program for us to continue to move forward in and to pursue honestly and authentically. Thank you for that. And you, and you were and have been, you know, at uh, times we've referred to, to you as sort of our, our emotional compass in this, right? Like, we know we're onto something if, if your eyes get a little bright and a little watery. And then we're like, oh, okay, this is a good thing. <laughs> this is a good thing. <laughs> because it's funny how quickly we make something personal. It's our failure. It's us as individuals. It's all... And, and what we've tried to do with Lane is like uplift it to a systems level. I mean, like, it's not just just bad decisions that people make. It's decisions folks were forced to make because of survival decisions or access that they did or did not have. And I'm wondering if there are along your journey points that um, you, some of the things that in the room that you felt like, oh, here are some things that a lot of people are, are, are talking about that feel resonant for me, that make me not feel so alone. And this is open to, to Nina as well, or Marianne, because you've been to gatherings over the last few years as well. I think um, one of the first things was um, self-care. Um, I remember coming to a meeting and and it was like, not not only self-care but also the sacrifices that we're that we're willing to make when we're doing this work um Mm -hmm. like not getting paid and but making sure that everybody we come in contact with gets paid and not being able to pay to get our car fixed and but um, but but putting on a, a brave front if we get to do a show um and so when um, when a person in the room was talking about, you know, I my car just broke down and it's going to cost me three hundred dollars to get it fixed and I can't get it fixed. But because I'm making sure that my staff gets paid and it was one of those things where I was like, oh, man, I missed a couple payments and um, paychecks, but I made sure that the organization's uh, logo was out there and that we were partnering with people and we continue to do programs. But yeah, I'm not alone in this. Wait a minute. And that's when you start realizing that we have systemic issues around how um, arts nonprofit is ran. And it was very clear to me. So when I came back and I was like, and and I was in a meeting and I was like, and they over there, it's systemic. Why do we believe that we don't deserve better? as arts organizations. And so that was one of the major things in the beginning of the process that really stood out to me. One of my first lane events was going to, uh, it was San Jose, right? Yes. There was the Alpha cohort. And, um, and it was startling to me how similar the organizations were 
whether it was size or whether it was the passion for the arts, because one thing we talk about in the office, uh, we've come across it a couple times, the idea of feeling like as a black run organization in a predominantly white city, state, hemisphere, <laughs> like you feel like you're alone a lot of the times and you feel like you're the only one doing it. So, um, and even before I started working for CD Forum, you could count on your hands and not use all your fingers, the number of culturally specific nonprofit arts organizations that were doing the work and doing it sustainably. Um, CD Forum being one of them, like managed to be around for 20 years, continue to work with and for artists and to uplift them. Um, but being in that room for the first time and learning about Carpet Bag and learning about Junebug, Suteatro, it was just startling to me how similar the journeys were and the systemic issues that Sharon talked about, how pervasive they they were and that it was nice to know that you you weren't the only one you know, out there doing the work because it can feel like a, a very Herculean effort. And I want to affirm for you that it not only feels like a Herculean effort, it is a Herculean effort. The work that you all have done, the work that some of the other cohort members have done to, to sustain yourselves for these years is, is brilliant. It is laudable. It is strategic. Um, and it's why our tagline is see leaders make change. Because what we recognize really um, deeply is that folks have figured out how to thrive inside a context that was ever-changing and often changing the rules to make it even harder for you. What I'm wondering, like, with the, when you hear the term or this idea of sea leaders make change, what are some of the things inside CD Forum? They are like, oh, these are the things that we have uh, developed that we know that we are growing our leadership in, but that we feel really great about. Uh, in terms of our internal processes and how we function? I think one thing first is being open to the process and and being willing to admit when you um, make mistakes. And um, I think through this process, you, you feel as though, okay, you got the money in the bank, um, you have the support there through the consultants and your cohort, and you're on top of the world. And then you have to begin to put things into place. Um, like the, the living document of your proposal is now in full-fledged action. And, and then you start to freak out. And then you start to realize, oh, shoot, I have to make this happen. And then you start hiring people. And I was just having, I was having this conversation with a friend the other day about when you hire people and you're starting to make change and and you've been and you've been the one running the organization, one of the things that I had to do as a leader was pull back. And pulling back meant um, sometimes I feel as though I can run this organization in my sleep, right? I've I've been through just about every situation. And so I remember specifically of um, we were having a conversation about a particular thing and, and I told Marianne exactly how to do the email. No, in the email, you tell them this, 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 and this. And then, and Marianne looked kind of puzzled for a second. And then I just kept going. And then uh, uh, not long after that, I said, wait a minute, no, Marianne, you know the situation you write the email in the way that you feel comfortable. And that's just a small thing of as you start to change, um, that you start to self-correct um, and that you allow your, your staff to call you on your stuff, right? Or be comfortable enough to say, you know what? That really made me feel uncomfortable, but because we're all growing this organization together, we have to be okay with making missteps and getting through it, but acknowledging it and being able to acknowledge the missteps is one of the hardest things as you're going through and seeing change. Well, I appreciate you. I hear you framing that as a misstep, but I also uh, uh, hear the way in which you've grown in your leadership in that moment too. Like, mm -hmm. Oh, 
I can let some of this go and um, and let the staff do what they're supposed to do. You know what they what you know what you hire them to do, and, and that uh, that's both personal and managerial. I immediately thought about our work with the artists because there have been several times now where um, both Marianne and I have been able, and I've seen it in like different instances, be able to step into our power as like the relationship builder with the individual artists. Because for the longest time that's been Sharon doing manage relationships with artists, make sure programming happens, figure out box office, like everything it takes to run an arts organization. And then that artist component, because that's ultimately what we're doing at our core is that we're trying to cultivate, help grow and support these artists that are at different stages in their career. And whether it was Sharon empowering me to go through a grant writing process with an artist that we're gonna be working with uh, next year or seeing Marianne completely, totally handle a whole rehearsal situation and being able to walk away and be like, Marianne has this, like she has the temperament, she has like the ability to work with so many different types of people and to be able to see, for me, that's how that manifests is like, because again, I was there when it was just Sharon and I was like the little intern who like got to pop in and out. So I wasn't there all the time, but to be able to see her have like, have that confidence in us to do that has been really cool to see. And it's only growing more, whether it's, you know, it's handling artists in that situation or working with them or on smaller projects. Like I, I foresee that growing more so that again, that's another thing where she had, she's able to step back some so that we can work with those artists in that way. And then she can work with artists in other ways as well. And she's not holding everything. Yeah. And I, I think the other thing definitely, um, what Nina was saying, um, and acknowledging Sharon's graciousness and, uh, <laughs> you know, when you have new staff and new styles and you have been doing everything um, and you know how to do everything, but you know, you can't continue to do everything and stay sane, um, you know, being able to let that go and, and talking through, oops, <laughs> talking through things. I think one of the things I'm thankful for because um, I've known Sharon in the community as an artist and then knowing her um, as the executive director of this organization and then walking into this space, I've been thankful for Lane for, I, I, I can say this um, from what I've seen, be, you know, um, being able to have EDs and staff, uh, not like, you know, they're all up there and we're down here, but everybody having access to resources. So, Sharon is now part of this network of other EDs that she can, you know, I think that's been such a key thing and get these resources with consultation and, and Nina and I also, um, where we're at, I, you know, I've been meeting people now um, in our cohort and in the other cohorts to come, the beta, and knowing that there's people out there that I can go to um, and that we can all grow from that and develop as, as, as leaders. Um, and and also what Nina was saying about working with the artists, one of the things we do here at CD Forum is we're trying, you know, we work really hard and it's uh, our curator, Danny Terrell, is a perfect example of, of um, working and mentoring and supporting arts leaders uh, um, as they go through their career. So starting as a dancer, now he's our curator. He's, he's done a lot of things, not like, but CD Forum is one of those spaces where uh, he constantly says it's given him a chance to even grow grow even more. So developing ourselves, but also developing the artists in our community so that they can go on and um, dream of things that they didn't know that they could do or had thought about doing, but didn't know have a space where they could do it or um, needed support to have uh, their visions fulfilled. You know, I, I'm really excited about that part of CD Forum and growing um, how we continue to mentor artists and future artistic leaders, you know, just being one of many steps that they're going to take, but, but being a foundation and a, a platform for them to spring off of. I'm, I'm excited about that. So one of the things um, what you are saying makes me think about is the intention behind Lane and its ability to support an organization's infrastructure. Mm -hmm. um, 
Can you talk a little bit about um, the ways in which from, I guess we're three years now in, mm-hmm. you've seen CD form change and grow through the process um, and what parts of the process have felt very rich for you? Um, wow. Uh, so much change has happened. Um, I think confidence is one and, and being deserving and, um, and really looking at what you do and valuing it. Because when I came into, um, Lane, I basically didn't think that we had any resources because we didn't have any money. And, um, and then, then we started talking about the different kinds of capital. And we started hearing about my social capital. And, um, and it was just like in our intellectual capital. And I felt so rich in that moment. Like, yeah, we do have stuff. Wait a minute. Um, but because there was no dollar amount to those things, um, I felt as though as an organization, we didn't have anything. And we was constantly struggling. And I think the main thing that Lane helped me see is that we have so much value in what we do, whether it's sitting down with an artist or it's meeting with a council member or it's um, actually doing a show, um, the value is is phenomenal. And, And Lane... Um, the changes that I got to see through that was um, not thinking that we had to do it a certain way, that you had to follow the script of what it meant to be an arts and cultural organization this day and age, right? That you had to start with an executive director or general manager, or you had to have a managing director and an artistic director, but it was actually more of a thoughtful process of, okay, what are the things that you want help with? Um, what are the needs of the organization, truthfully, if, if money wasn't a problem? Um, in a lot of our lane meetings, you hear dream, dream big, dream, dream big. What does that look like? And the freedom um, to, to do that was, was priceless. And so with that, we didn't go back to the the structure um, when CD form first started the structure was executive director program manager and then it was changing the structure when I came on board to executive director artistic director and then by the time our lane consultants and our cohort got together it was like um, no I'm still the executive director well what if we bring in our first position as a business development manager which is different it's not just um, looking at advancement and grants and things of that nature, but also being a part of the operations side of what we do and start thinking of it that way versus the traditional models. And those are the changes that I saw right away of we don't have to do anything the exact same way that it's been done for years. And so going through that process and continuing to be in that process allows me to say to my staff, like Nina was having these meetings with um, different development managers and people in the community. And then one day I woke up and I said, okay, I know how they do it, but I think one of the questions you should ask them is what what would they be doing if they didn't have all the walls that are put up in front of them? so if they, if they could do whatever they want without going through the politics of a large organization, what would that look like? And, and so we have the freedom to do that here. And we have the mindset to do that because um, of the Lane program. I just, um, because I started in the summer, what I hear from the San Jose meeting to now and from the beginning, I mean, it seems like it's been just leaps and bounds because of um, the support and the meet, you know, intellectual, financial, uh, (laughs) all sorts of um, technical support um, through Lane. Um, 
I mean, even since the time I've been here, uh, it, it just has meant so much with having breathing room, breathing room to this, I guess, dream big, but also breathing room to not feel like you have to swim upstream and any minute you're going to get snagged by the fisherman's hook and thrown, thrown onto land. I don't know where I'm getting this analogy, but, um, you know, you, you just, <laughs> you just have time to really look at your organization and to, uh, enjoy the work you do, but also you have time to be strategic about the next step. You have time to learn from your lessons, and then get feedback, on, you know, from mistakes made or, or, or successes, and then to get feedback on how you can make it move forward. So I think it's like, um, and, we, and also you know that it's going to end <laughs> at some point, right? But you also have time to develop those relationships and give your, your experiences to that next cohort or to others because you feel like, okay, now I'm short up. I, I got this, you know, and, and I can... Um, I can really move on instead of just always, I'm not saying that that was CD, you know, form always worrying, but just always knowing that I could do better, but how, and this gives you time and, and we, we, you know, who are we as an arts organization and what does that, what does our model look like? Like Sharon's saying, we're not like everybody else. Who are we and who do we want to be? And it gives you time to, to kind of take the best of other organizations and how they do things and think about what it would look like for you instead of just grabbing, I'm just gonna have to do it this structure because everybody else does. So I think that's one of the things I've noticed is that we don't have time, but we have more time and more, more opportunity to, to look at things strategically and not feel rushed and not make the wrong, the wrong mistakes that could set us back so far. So, so some of the things that I hear you naming are, um, you know, the, the value of, of time in the breathing room and the sense of possibility yeah. that feels like it was really helpful. And also the sort of the last thing you said, Sharon, often we think of size, smaller sizes as a challenge, like, like how do we just simply grow bigger? But I hear you naming that actually as a, as a value add, right? A nimbleness that you're able to have due to your size and how that increases um, the different possibilities you have access to. And so I appreciate that, that framing that you all um, are offering because I feel like a lot of us feel like, oh, we're too small. Like you said earlier, we're small. You know, our, our impact is only but so much. Um, but what happens when in, in the environment in which we are currently in, which is, as you mentioned, Nina, changing all the time, and uh, context are shifting, the ability to be nimble and to make shifts along with it is huge. It's huge. And so for our, our other organi organizational friends who I like to call them cruise ships, you know, because a cruise ship takes like a day to turn, you know, that, that can't adjust as quickly as, as a CD forum can. Um, feels really important to to appreciate around how you all have have literally attacked and i like to say that like folks are like oh i'm just one person or just two people but you all have attacked this opportunity you're going to squeeze every bit of juice out of lane <laughs> that's right <laughs> i do it in seattle especially if you're a black artist you better get see something good you know you just uh you give back but you also know that there's something to be learned and take the opportunity and run Mm, you all are not going to leave here thirsty, clearly. Um, <laughs> but I also know that, that that lane hasn't been easy either. Like I, One of the things in the development of it um, is we clearly, clearly underestimated the amount of work it was going to be for you all. Mm. I can name that really honestly. Um, as I've watched these three years you know, go by, these... Um, 12 organizations now. Can you talk a little bit about where there might have been bumps uh, in the road for y'all? And if there were, like how, what, what corrections showed up or how did you make pivots? That's how I like to think about them is like pivot moments. And you're like, oh, we're going to do this. And we're like, oh, actually, 
that plan is not going to work out. We're going to do this instead. Yes. Um, one of the things was when we were tasked with doing the application from the Mellon Foundation and um, all the work that we had done leading up to that was like, okay, we could ask for the world. And then um, what happened was um, I have this idea for this entrepreneur conference that I want to have and creative entrepreneur conference that I want to have. We was like, yes, that'd be perfect for the Mellon application. And then me and the consultants, we started going through it and, and like, okay, so how's the conference going to make money? What's the revenue streams? And when is it going to start? And, that, and as we started asking more and more questions, we was like, well, maybe this is further down the road than what we thought. And um, and so then we we shifted, and then we wanted to because of gentrification, um, we wanted to reach more regional, do more regional programming. And I was like, yeah, so we could put a satellite office, mind you, at this point I'm one person, but we're gonna do a satellite office out in the south end of Seattle. And and it was like, does that really make sense now? Um, and so so it was like okay, so what are we going to put in this application? He was like, well, what are the things that you need right now and that will help sustain CD Forum? And so we had all those bumps and then we got frustrated and we came back to the table and it was like, we need employees, we need equipment, we need, we need to do regional outreach, but how can we do it more effectively? And so those were some of the things. And then a major bump in the road for us was um, the first person that I hired um, through the lane, through our um, recovery capital, um, Suryanka Kara, um, she needed an H-1B visa, and we were able to go through that process with her, and, and all of a sudden, in the middle of the process, when we were about to start on the Mellon Foundation application, um, we were notified that through the lottery, she wasn't selected. And, and it was one of the hardest times for us throughout the process because we have to keep moving forward because we're in this major process, but we're human as well. And so there was a lot of crying. <laughs> okay, I do, I've done a lot of crying in this process um, and a lot of how can we help, but she has to leave. And I think the lane process and NPN um, I can, the consultants and the NPN staff really rallied around us and was like, okay, so how do we help? How do we move forward? And at times when you didn't want to think about moving forward, it was a nice little push. Like, I know you're sad, but um, what do you need? And at that point, I needed help writing the Mellon Foundation application and then not knowing um, uh, Stanlin from NPN um, connected me with um, June, who had worked at NPN, who was closing an organization and was like, how can I help you? And she ended up coming on board to help write that application. And so those were some of the bumps of the roads where I thought we weren't going to make it. We're not going to be able to do it. And, um, and it all came together because the foundation that Lane had already set and that we are, we're not just giving you money. This is a program. This is in, and our foundation is based off of collaboration and support for you as individuals. Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, when, when that was all happening and knowing that Suryanka was going to have to leave the country, it was hard. It was a hard moment. Um, and, and you all moved through it um, gracefully and still stayed connected and supported her. Um, and so we were watching you both um, try and support this organization, support Suryanka through the process, and also your own grief in, in having to lose this person that you had, that you developed a relationship with, not just a working relationship with. And I think it's one of those examples of how external context and, you know, the administration and, and the way immigration works um, are these like out external factors that impact um, how and when our organizations are able to move forward and then 
it, it encouraged us to think about what are the resources? Because right then money was not the resource that would help you, right? Like it, it was, what are the resources that we have that we have access to that actually can help us in those moments? One of the things that I've noticed or has made it something that I've just internalized is the idea of living up to the expectations because the, like knowing that the lane process was so involved and it was so intensive, but it was also a, a crucially transformative moment for the organization, like stepping into that new space and those new expectations is daunting. Um, regardless of, of whether or not there are like burdens being purposefully placed on me or not, it's the idea of knowing um, that you're a part of an organization's like turning point in its evolution and not wanting to mess it up. <laughs> so, so I think that for me, that's been, that's been something that I deal with a lot is, you know, from a, from a really practical standpoint of like taking that lane that Mellon application, which basically lays out CD forums, like organizational strategy for the next few years and translating that into an actionable plan um, that we all have a piece of in some form or fashion um, has, is challenging and is, is uh, scary because you don't want to drop the ball because it's not only is it an organization whose work you believe in, but it's also people who you admire and want to support and want to see flourish. So I think that that's something that um, I'd be curious to know how many other folks in the cohort feel that same way. Like, cause Sharon talks about it a lot. Like you were handed, you know, several thousand dollars that sits in the bank and the fear that comes and the anxiety that comes with having that responsibility and that burden. Um, and I think for me, it's the, the challenge of, of the, like the duty of care ultimately is what it is. And so that's something that I think a lot about. I think that's something that makes uh, you all and, and our other cohort members and a lot of um, folks we get to work with really special. Because there are folks who don't think about a duty of care. There are, you know, or who, um, who aren't thinking about a legacy that um, gets left after they're gone. Like how you how you manage and navigate this impacts others and impacts the organization. And so um, that's that's a beautiful um, a beautiful charge to have, and um, it's one that I found really fascinating. Um, oh, and the ways in which now having access made some folks stop moving. You're like, oh, I have all this money. I'm not going to do nothing. <laughs> I can figure out like the exact right move to make because I don't want to make the wrong move. Mm. And, and I think there are folks who have always had access who never have that feeling. Who never have that feeling. Because they just assume they're always going to have access. Where for us, for arts organization of color, smaller organizations, rural organizations, we're all we're we're so positioned with we never know if this is ever going to happen again, so let's let's be really really diligent. And I'm, I'm I wonder if there's a um, a middle ground, right? Like, how did you work through that, or what what um, or are working through this this duty of care, not letting this sense of duty impact your ability to dream or function? I think the artist. Um, in the community, the need for the artist and the need to do something substantial for the community is what drives us. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I first moved us into the Langston Hughes Performing Arts Institute building and Jay Solomon Curtis was working on her show. And now, and she, she texted me and was like, can you come downstairs? And I went downstairs and she performed for me so I could give her some notes. And I couldn't believe that I was in the same building with an artist because we hadn't done that before. We, our office space was always off in some other building and then the artist did their thing somewhere else. And so as, as we get geared up, we get excited around working with artists. Like the day Nina was talking about that 
um, I allowed her, I uh, set it up to where her and Randy can meet to work on his grant for his budget for a grant. <clears throat> I mean, when that was done, we were all in the office jumping up and down. And just that experience was like giving us life or, or the day that Danny came in and we were supposed to just be talking about one show. And I leaned back and said, why don't you just curate the whole season and watching him flourish or just watching just Dupree who for the um, Lauren Dupree um, who just was working on the show and we started talking about it three years ago and it just happened last week and walking her through that process that gives us life. Um, we like being a vessel for Black artists to share their stories in whatever form they want to. And, and every time that we get tired or we get exhausted or we feel as though we don't want to go to work today, as soon as we walk in that theater or we walk in our office and an artist is there, we're reminded of why we can do this work. Or we look at our community and people say, uh, and because of gentrification, they moved out and they come and they come to our show and they're like, wow, this gave me life. I didn't even, we had a party the other night after a show. And the next day we came in for an artist reception and everybody's knees are hurting and backs are hurting. And they, and they look at each other and said, I didn't know I needed that. And I think that's what drives us. The other thing, Sage, when you first were proposing that, I immediately thought of like the consequences of failure is that you mentioned earlier that like people who've always had access, they don't have to worry about or they don't think about what it's like to not have access. I also think the other side, too, is that even if they try something big and they fail, the consequences of their failure is very different than the consequences of our failure. I feel like that or at least that's how it feels sometimes. Right. Is that because we don't have a lot of opportunities, you almost feel like every time you do it, it has to be right. And I think that what we are doing in our office, at least, is trying, like, I have to remind myself of that, um, creating that space where, like, all right, you didn't get it right this time. The world is not going to end. What can we do to, to, to get it better next time? But that it, that's something that you that it did make me think about. It's like, what happens when you don't get it right? Like, is there a safety net under you? And if there is, how likely are you to try for bigger, better things too? Versus if you don't know if there's a safety net or there's never been a safety net, right? Um, but yeah, that's what that made me think of. And that takes me to one of my mentors told me when I was in grad school, I had made an announcement what my, my summary project was going to be. And I started freaking out. I was like, oh, oh, my goodness. What I just told people. Now I have to do it. And, and I, I, I texted her and she was like, you know, you have to be willing to fail. And I share that all the time. You have to love something so much that you're willing to put everything in it and it not go right, um, that you will learn from that experience. And that's um, what I feel Nina was just talking, speaking to. Wow. Thank you all so much. Uh, I was just thinking about the, the tagline to this podcast. It's tactile a practical guide to transforming art and culture. And you all have certainly laid out practice upon practice upon practice uh, for people to use for their own work, for their own, the own ways they think about, to transform their thinking from um, a place of nervousness maybe or um, away from what feels like others want to a place of what I want for myself. Um, and my organization. And so I just want to say I'm really grateful always to talk to you all and really appreciate you taking this time. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thanks for inviting mm. us to this podcast and having time with you. Oh, always. Is there anything you want people to know before we wrap up about what's going on with CD Forum or 
shout out where they can learn more. We're in our 20th anniversary. We're ready to party and have a good time right. as yes. we come to the end of the season. And through Lane and through the hard work of the CD Forum staff, um, just take just look out for us, whether it's regionally, out in Tacoma, or if it's in Seattle. We are in the heart of the central area, and we um, want to invite people to seek us out. Um, because we're doing some great work. We have some great artists and it's about community. It's about making our artistic and cultural community stronger. And um, we will have a show, we will have, we have Sunday dinners, we feed people all the time, um, but we like to celebrate who we are and that's what we're doing. And so um, if you're in town, um, whether it's a Sunday dinner or kitchen sessions or our party to celebrate our 20th anniversary on June 8th or Fag God by Danny Terrell, come sit with us and see how we do things because we're getting it done in a, in a very authentic um, way here in Seattle. That's right. And um, we didn't get a chance to mention before we're going to be having a new website up. So, uh, but right now, www.cdforum.org, come visit and check us out. We're going to have our 2019-2020 schedule up in the next few months, if not earlier. But um, yeah, if you're in town, just let us know. We'd love to show you what's going on in Seattle and what we do here. But also, if you're interested in Black artistic performances, voices, etc., cetera, um, let us know. And uh, we can show you around. <laughs> and uh, also, mm -hmm. follow us on Instagram okay. at CD Forum. Follow us on Facebook, Central District Forum for Arts and Ideas. Our social okay. game is on point. <laughs> that is so true. Yeah, that is so true. Fat, yeah. we, we got some good things going. Okay. Anyway, I'm going to go on and make my flight for June 8th. So, so on June 9th. I can talk about how my back and my knees hurt. Mm -hmm. I'm hanging out with you all and uh, have a great day. And thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Funding support for Lane is provided by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation. You can find more information about Lane and the amazing organizations involved on the NPN website, www.npn web.org. This episode was co-edited by Amanda Bankston and Monica Tyran. Jazz Franklin is our podcast editor and sound design by Muti Reed.